Welcome to the Palace Perspective, brought to you by Palace Capital Advisors, a wealth management firm specializing in custom estate, financial, and tax solutions that others often miss. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Charles Evangelakos, principal co-founder of Palace Capital Advisors. With me today is John Fussell, a retired Navy SEAL. Today, we're, today is called the Extraordinary Life Series, where we're going to talk about John's extraordinary life and accomplishments. A little bit more about John. John spent his entire 20-year naval career in the Naval Special Warfare community. Over the course of multiple combat deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, he led our nation's most elite special mission units on hundreds of different combat missions. He served as tactical leadership roles in SEAL Teams 3, 10, 4, and SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team to prior to becoming a troop commander at ASOX DevGrow, also known as SEAL Team 6. Today, John is the CEO of a firm that provides practical leadership and training and executive coaching called Patriot Leadership Development. He resides in Northport, Virginia with his wife, Rachel, and three school-aged children, where his wife operates a popular women's clothing boutique called Mercy O. That's not all. John, additionally, John was born in the Panama Canal Zone, the son of a U.S. Army Green Beret doctor. John Fussell is one of four U.S. Navy SEALs in his family. Among other awards, he has earned the four Bronze Stars with Valor and two Presidential Unit Citations. Congratulations, John. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Sorry for the uh, long intro there, but appreciate yeah. you having me. So what really made you join the Navy SEALs? Or how did that start? Yeah, so I, I had grown up with um, a lot of military service in my family. My grandfather had been in World War II. You know, I mentioned my dad was a Green Beret. had a couple uncles here and there in the Marine Corps and things like that. My, my mom's brother was in the SEAL teams in Vietnam. Yeah. And so it was always in the background growing yeah. up. Uh, none of them had had like a full career. They'd done their time. But, and they spoke, you know, reasonably fondly of their experiences. They had some complaints here and there. Yeah. But, um, so that was always in the background. And again, finishing up undergrad, I kind of just felt, hey, I want to serve for a stretch. Okay. So I started doing my homework on what you can do in the military. There's no financial advisors running around the military, but there's, okay. you know, it's it's almost an entire society. There's a lot of stuff you can do. You can be an electrician, and you know, there's lots of stuff to do. But I started doing my homework on what I could do. Came really close to going off and trying to become a pilot, and um, for various reasons, chose not to go that path. And once I kind of ruled out flying, yeah. I started looking at all the special operations teams on the ground and pretty quickly SEAL teams became what I figured I wanted to be a part of. Okay. Well, we want to cover a lot today, obviously. Your career at SEALs, your leadership roles, uh, your education and so forth. But let's just kind of start with the leadership a little bit. I'm talk let's talk about the SEAL training. What was SEAL training like? And what did you need, what we what did you need to be successful in there? Because we all see that on TV, right? We just Sure. Um, first of all, it's called BUDS, which is Basic Underwater yeah. Demolition SEAL Training BUDS. And um, it's been going on since the 60s. Uh, even prior to that, there was different versions of it for scouts and raiders and the early stuff. Yeah. And it's an amazing process. Like, they have got, they've got it figured, you know, the community has got it yeah. figured out. Down, it's a science. And, um, you know, typical class. I, my class, we started with 178 guys. Yeah. And I graduated with 28. Yeah, you know, that's amazing. Is that the yeah, I mean, that's, 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 you know, that's a yeah. standard class. That's not extraordinary. That's yeah. the, the, pretty much the numbers. And you just really know they've done all this research over the years. They, you never know who's going to make it. Yeah. Um, they've done some some homework and they figure out who's not going to make it sometimes. But yeah. figuring out who's really going to make it is really tough to do. Yeah. Um, but it's a, you know, it's about a willingness to like, if you look at the whole thing in aggregate, it's just insane. I think I heard a buddy yeah. describe it as it's over the course of six months. It's like 
swimming from Cuba to the U.S. and then running up to New York or something like that, the rough numbers. But, you know, if you put that all in one yeah. sitting, it's too much. So you just got to take it day by day, piece by piece, evolution by evolution. Yeah, it's probably like six months. And it feels like it's two days, right, when you go through the entire training program. I mean, it's not just physical, right? It has to be mental as well, right? And sleep deprivation and uh, physical, mental, all these different aspects that, that, that you have to qualify for. Yeah, no, it's all, I mean, yeah. you don't need to be a world-class anything to get through yeah. SEAL training. You know, you need to be fit and all that. Yeah. You know, I was a college athlete coming in, but um, it's just, you need to just keep going no matter what, you know. And, you know, people often ask, like, oh, did you ever think about quitting? You know, and my not, my not tough guy answer at all is yeah. no, I never even thought of it for a second. Because once you let that cancerous thought yeah. that become an option somewhere in the back of your head, yeah. Next thing you know, you're going through hell week and you've been awake for three, four or five days. Yeah. And if that's an option, when you're delirious, maybe you quit. You know, yeah. so. And that's you hear most guys that say the same thing. I heard you talk about micro naps before. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're so tired, you're running on the beach and you take a quick nap while you're running. I mean, yeah, I mean, your body's right? crazy. You know, people, a lot of people have heard about hell yeah. week and, and hell week's early in training. And it kicks off Sunday, yeah. wraps up Friday. And basically you're with your boat crew together carrying a you know, three, 350, 400 pound boat the whole week. Yeah. And um, once you've been awake for, you know, 70, 90, 100 hours, like your, your body will just kind of boom, shut down for a second or so here and yeah. there. It's pretty, yeah. cra- pretty crazy experience. So now you're a SEAL, so you get it. And you and now you go on your first mission, right? What did that feel like? Well, so honestly, I came in, you know, I came in in the late 90s. Yeah. And I was I was in the military from 95 to 2015. Yeah. So I came in pre 9-11. Um, honestly, there was not a whole lot going on. We were yeah. mostly a peacetime force. Yeah. So I was in for quite a while before I actually went on any real world missions. Okay. Uh, I did in the early days, back it up a little bit, pre-9-11, the SEAL teams used to be regionally focused. Okay. And I went to SEAL Team 4 as a new guy, and I got to become a sniper and um, loved it. And I, was, I was an enlisted guy doing that. But we, we covered South America. Okay. Right? So if you've ever watched Narcos, Narcos, oh, is, yeah. Narcos is a pretty good depiction of the... Uh, you know, Columbia in the late 90s. It's been, they did a good job in that show. But went down there, and it was all peacetime stuff, training with the, the Colombian Special Forces, yep. working against the FARC, which is kind of the militia for the drug lords. Okay. And I loved it, you know. That was really great stuff. So, But it wasn't, again, for a few more years for me personally until I was actually out in combat. Yeah, because I remember my old football days, right? You get the butterflies, you get ready for the game, right? It's, just, it's a different level, right? It's the same type of thing, but at a much different level, and the stakes are much different sure. than, than losing a football game. But um, So how do you... How do you prepare for a mission? I mean, so you the team is together now. You get you, the mission is. Uh, how do you prepare? What What are these steps? Is it, is it the the actual preparing for the mission? Who does what? The time of day? Is it you know how does? That work? Yeah, I mean, if you're going all the way right up to you know the day, hey, we've received yeah. this is what we yeah. need to go do and yeah. tomorrow night or tonight or two days right. from now. Um, it really starts way, way, way before yeah. that. Okay. You know, I mean, you're talking about even when even when you're going through Bud's training, you're not you're learning. By the time when you finish Bud, you know about one percent of it, what it means to be a SEAL. Yeah. Okay. But but that young guy is hard as nails, never going to quit, and he's trainable. And okay. you start training, then you get into most uh, everybody in the military is basically on a workup training cycle. Whether right. you're on a submarine or a SEAL or a pilot, you go through training, training, training like two-thirds, three-quarters of your time, or yeah. you're preparing, 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 and then you go overseas and you do your job piece. Yeah. So all of that really builds into what you're doing. So you're building all the skill set right. in your workup cycle, yeah. and then you finally go overseas, and you go and execute missions. Okay. So you at some point you were elevated to commander. Yeah, so yeah. I was, uh, yeah, so I had been an enlisted guy originally. Yeah. And if you don't know the military that well, the enlisted crew is kind of like the blue-collar workforce of the military. Yeah. Um, broad strokes, yeah. but that'll get you in the ballpark. And... 
I did that for about five years. Okay. And then I decided to get a commission. I went to officer candidate school, knocked that out, and then went straight back to the SEAL team as a young officer. Uh, or not so young, but I was a junior, yeah. a junior officer. And, you know, rank-wise, I ended up being a lieutenant commander. Uh, my title was I was a troop commander. So okay. you had your rank and then your title. So, but yeah, I did that at multiple SEAL teams. And then I had the opportunity to go work at JSOC. Which did, is, did you feel, so this like being, when you're, when you're a commander, a captain, a owner of a company, you have a sense of a different responsibility? Yeah, so did you feel differently when you got to that level of being a SEAL team commander? Did you feel more responsible for your, for your you know? Yeah, well, I mean, as, as my time as a troop commander, like, you're just, you know, your leaders are, you know, you're overall responsible for making making yeah. things yeah. making things work. And a lot of that is just shape, shaping the battle space or shaping the environment, your climate and your culture right. so that people, so your SMEs, your subject matter experts can do what they're there to do, what they're great at. Yeah. Um, and then you have an overall responsibility. You know, in the military, again, the stakes are higher. You know, my job, we, you know, we're overseas, we're generally working a vampire schedule, so I'm starting my day off around sunset and working in the nights, and every every morning over my coffee, our analysts, just like your analysts here, your analysts are cranking in, they're doing all the hard work. Uh, yeah. Our analysts will be like, hey, this is the, this is the target, this is the guy, uh, this is his known associates pattern in life, things like that, and they'd yeah. have the whole package. And then it would fall on, you know, myself and my key key guys with me and say, hey, are we doing this? Are we going on this mission or not? And that's the big, that's the tough decision. Okay. Because, um, you know, if you're the guy who's, well, we haven't worked in 10 nights and I'm really bored and I want to go out and do something, and then you get somebody killed, you know, you're going to live with that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Why'd you go on that mission? Well, because we were bored and we wanted to stir something up. Like, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a, a lot of thought goes into making that. Because as soon as you say yes, it's not just the 25, 35 SEALs. Yeah, you got aircraft involved. You got a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of you're putting parts, in as they way. call it. Yeah, you're putting every you're putting everybody in harm's way. Yeah. So you know, I want to move on to some leadership things that you've been doing, but just a couple more things on the Navy SEAL part. So of all the hundreds of missions that you've run, uh, and you, I'm sure you remember all of them, is are there any particular ones that stand out or anything unique about them? Uh, is there any partic particular uh, mission or moment that you remember? Um. Well, it, I think one of the most gratifying things about the whole process is like we all want to see the fruits of our labor, right. you know, yep. and have a sense of purpose and autonomy, which we get to do all that in the SEAL teams. But the cycle is so crazy fast. You know, talking about the analysts, yeah. and the analysts are like doing really working hard to find us the, the, the character we're going after. And then imagine the job satisfaction of like doing one night or two nights or three weeks worth of work and saying, yeah. hey, boss, this is the guy. And then we actually go ahead and get that guy. Like, right. and then boom, the feedback loop is right there, and you just continue to do that. So that's really gratifying. As far as like the particulars of an exact mission, there's so many that were just really yeah. amazing to be a part of. I, I got to be in command of a, um, a really unique mission set. We um, we established a, what was a basically a daytime operation, and which was very unusual for that time. Okay. But uh, it was a helicopter-based sort of pounce package yep. where we were going out during the day and interdicting guys on their on their day-to-day -day routines and. Yeah. Uh, that was absolutely, like, hands down, the most, you know, gratifying, yeah. and just the it was the, the the tempo was unbelievable how fast that unfolded, and how many amazing people were all doing their pieces, and it all yeah. had to sync like within seconds to make that thing work. So, yeah, love that was truly amazing. Truly amazing. Yeah, I also heard you talk about testing new techniques and uh, methods. You know, as a Navy SEAL, like we're like for instance, we have Palace Capital, right? We have a new asset allocation model. It's you know we try different things as far as the investment world, financial planning world. The same thing happens at the SEAL team level, right? You have different challenges, right? And you could try, you can do different types of prototypes and techniques. 
Is yeah, that, you mentioned I worked. Yeah. At, I worked at Naval Special Warfare Development Group, which is, I know it's a handful, but yeah. the, the, the press at some point, when they realized how long of a word that was, they started googling it and yeah. found out SEAL Team Six was a name for it a long, long time ago. Yeah. But um, it is development group. It does, yeah. you know, tests and evaluates new, yeah. new, yeah. new equipment, new techniques, new everything. It's it's yeah. a great place to be a part of. So great. So now you know it's kind of now it's time to retire, right? You did your did your service, and what was that like? How did you? What was it made the decision for you to retire? Well, there's a lot, a lot of things, a lot of factors went into that. Yeah. Um, I had had a great career, loved it. Got to be an enlisted guy. Got my commission. Um, yeah. My peer group, you know, I got my commission just months before 9/11 happened, right? So I'd been, I'd been in the industry for about five years, kind of getting my feet under me, had you know, a pretty decent understanding of what the yeah. job was, and then I got a commission, took on bigger leadership roles. And within months, um, 12 days after the attacks of 9-11, I was, my, we were deploying to the first wave yeah. of Operation Enduring Freedom. And um, we, over the next basically about 11 years from me, ended up just doing back to back to back. I went to Afghanistan six times uh, and Iraq three, okay. a little bit, little bit of South America sprinkled in there too. So just an incredibly busy decade for us. Yeah. And you know, and my, my peer group, my peers who were the same rank as me had basically graduated college a year or so prior to that, yep. you know, so I had the luxury of five years in the SEAL teams before. And all what all of that added up to was we were, you know, in a, grim, in a bit of a grim way. Our timing okay. was just unbelievable how much stuff we got to experience and do. Yep. Uh, in the military, and I have wonderful friends who were much, much senior to me. If you were above a certain rank when 9-11 happened, you did great important stuff, but you didn't get to go do the combat piece that we did. Right. Um, so I started seeing the writing on the wall and what the path was. Um, and I have great friends that are still in and they're doing amazing stuff and I'm proud of them. And, uh, but, uh, been through a lot, dragged the family through a lot. It was, it was just fact, time. It factoring, was time. It factoring was, in the ages of my kids and, yeah. and um, it, it made a lot of sense to wrap it up. It was time. Yeah. Right. So what do you miss the military or let me ask a different way. What have you missed most about the military since you retired? Oh, well, again, you know, fellow, yeah, fellow a, athlete growing yeah. up. I mean, you miss the camaraderie, you miss the yeah. crew. It's um, I can imagine. don't don't miss you know harsh, miserable, uncomfortable living conditions, and yeah. um, you know the hours and the and the pay and the you know right. and, and losing friends along the way. Don't miss any of that. You know, don't need to get shot at anymore. Been been there, done that. Yeah. And um, but the camaraderie, the fun yeah. stuff, the training together, the bond that you're going to have. Uh, that that's probably what I would say I miss the most. Okay. So, so what's next for John, right? So you retire, and then you uh, decided to go a different path. So what made you go? You went to Wellington Management. I did. I did. Or actually, went to postgraduate school there first. Well, no. Right? So I went to post, I went so, to Naval Postgraduate School. Yeah. So how, so how does that work? Because I know this is important to a lot of people listening. You don't really understand that there's actually we get an advanced degree after you with the Navy. Right, so um, there's there's the War College out in uh, Kansas. There's Rhode Island's got oh, I'm sorry, War College and the Army's yep. Army's is in Kansas. Rhode Island's got the War College, Naval Postgraduate School out in Monterey, California, and kind of mid career, uh, mostly mostly officers yep. or some enlisted. Uh, they're going to send you and say, hey, why don't you pick up a, a higher degree? And Naval Post, you know, start looking at the options. Newport's awesome if you're the if you're there the right time of year, yeah. you know, <laughs> nothing against you. Have to apply for that, and, it's, and yeah. who funds it, by the way? No, it's, I mean they're military. It's, they're part of the military. Okay. Yeah, and um, so taxpayers fund it. Yeah. And, well, uh, it's great. No, we're yeah, yeah just that's yeah. One, let, but so, let, let, have, listeners know that. Right, and so like Naval Postgraduate School, I mean, just a ridiculously beautiful place to okay. live. Everybody that, ever, all my friends that have ever gone there, like, just fall in love with it. You're out there for 
18 months to two years, depending on what degree you're doing. But there is an application process, right? You need to qualify to get in? Is that yeah, absolutely. I mean, okay. yeah, it's not, it's not the most rigorous to get there. If they, you're not going to get an opportunity to do it unless you're qualified and you've been in for, you're going to, most people are going to get in. So yeah, I also learned more about you. You also went to Duke University as well. I did. I did that. And that was post, you know, that was post military. I went to Monterey and then postgraduate school. That was towards the very tail end of my career. So I was on active duty. I was full-time military going to school. I was just a student for 18 months. Um, We actually had our third kid while we were out there, which was great. And then a couple years after I retired, decided to go back and pick up my MBA. So I did that recently. I went back to Fuqua. That's Duke's School of Business. And uh, that was amazing. Experience. So you're not driven. Humble. You're not driven at all. Is what you're saying. Well, I mean, right? I, should, I, I was kidding. You should caveat any of these buds and all of them with caveat that with barely survived. You know. Yeah. You know, yeah. MBA process barely survived. I yeah. was, uh, Kudos I was, to you for that. So you, you you went to the as a Navy SEAL. You went to post military school. You went to Duke. Got your master's, and then you decided to come to Boston, right? So and so I did. Uh, I did uh, Naval Postgraduate School. Yep. Um, I was almost about to retire at my 20-year mark, so I came back and did about 18 more months after yeah. that, retired, then I went straight to Wellington. Yeah. And then after Wellington, I went to Duke. Okay. Yep. So how did you go to, what made you decide to go to Wellington? Where, how did that come about? So I, when, when, when I went to Naval Postgraduate School, yeah. you have to write a thesis while you're there. Okay. So I partnered with a couple of really good friends, and we came together and wrote a thesis together, and one of my buddies' wife... She, she basically carried us and edited everything and saved the day because we were a bunch of knuckleheads trying to write this mm-hmm. thesis. But um, we ended up writing a thesis about the identification, grooming, and retention of high potentials. Okay. And we didn't want to sequester ourselves in a library for 18 months and write this thing. So we asked for permission to go out and interview any company we could get our hands on. And we did four main trips. Um, and one was here to Boston, New York, Boston, Dallas, and... Uh, San Fran and so we interviewed a ton of companies just talking about those subjects okay. how are you identifying grooming and retaining and over the course of that Wellington actually wasn't even on the original list of companies but we were as we would conclude our time here with you and be like yeah. thank you for your time is there anybody else you think we should be talking to Wellington came up a few times okay. so we started we started nagging a few people and we got an intro and ended up going and interviewing uh, Wellington for part of our thesis okay and in that process and just connecting with a couple of guys who became friends and stayed in touch. And fast forward about three years later, I was getting ready to retire. Uh, I knew, I knew I didn't want to go like defense contracting world, okay. which is a very easy transition. I got plenty of guys, that, plenty of buddies that do it, and okay. nothing against it. But I was done carrying a gun. I didn't yeah. want to go to work at Booz Allen or Lockheed Martin, which you know, yeah. if that's if that's a good fit for you, great. I wanted something totally different. Okay. And so I interviewed with a lot of tech companies. Um, a couple sports teams and uh, and just a handful of finance places. Okay. But it just kind of, you know, long story short, it just kind of clicked at Wellington and, yeah. and um, very collegial shop. It was a good opportunity for me to get my foot in the door as a very non-standard That's guy. That's a great organization. I mean, yeah. large organization. Where'd you live in Boston when you were here? We were on the South Shore. We lived in Situate. Okay. Yeah. So we have a lot of bunch of Situate people here in the office. <laughs> did the did the ferry did the ferry commute and uh, so it's pretty pretty good setup. Yeah, and then you went on to start a company uh, called Patriot Leadership Development, which I kind of find fascinating. And so tell, tell me about the company. Tell us about the company. Tell us what the goal is and what you're trying to accomplish. So the, the genesis was even when I was on active duty a little bit, right towards the tail end of my career. 
I had a buddy asking, hey, would you come talk to my company? I said, sure, I had to get permission. Yeah. All this stuff. Yeah. I want to present to his company and help them out a few times. He was a private equity guy and um, enjoyed doing that. And then that kind of, you know, went on the back burner for a while while I was working full time at Wellington. Okay. But then I was still getting asked to come do some stuff and I enjoyed doing it. It's kind of more interactive, roll your sleeves up and work with teams. So when we decided to cut away from Wellington, um, I really just kind of hung out of shingle. It was like dusted off. I was like, I, I should jump back into doing this. So that was the beginning, and basically now me, initially just me, and I got a few few buddies now working with me, and we just kind of go out and plug in, mostly in the finance world, okay. plugging in because you know the financial advisor world, people are going to, they're going to team-based structures, you know, it's not what it was years ago, just one independent, and you know, so figuring yeah. out how to, how do we work as a team, and so we do. Yeah. A lot so of what's that. your view? So obviously this is a, something that all companies talk about. What's your view on leadership? Right? You lead by example. You lead by. You talk about lead by committee or lead, lead, different ways to lead. Right? What's your, what's your sort of quick little sort of snapshot of what leadership is about? I mean, there's a time and place for all kinds. You know, there's lead from yeah. the front. There's lead from the rear. There's lead yeah. by example. There's, there's a time and place for all right? of it. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and being adaptive and being able to know what needs to be done when. Yeah. Um, and again, like I said, for leaders, it's, it's. It's shaping the environment. It's taking care of your people, you yeah. know. And uh, I think a lot of times people don't get that. Like in the military, you know, if I'm out on a mission and I call on the radio, the guy back in the command center generally is going to be pretty senior to me. Yeah. But if, in that moment, even though he's way senior to me, his job is to help me. I need this asset. He's got. He's in a command center having a cup of coffee, yeah. watching multiple missions go on. His his job, even though he outranks me, is to help me. It's not me to get on the radio and to help him out. Yeah. You know. So th- he's a leader, but he's shaping the environment so I can get my job done, you know? Right. And I think that that's, leaders need to get that, you know? Yeah, no, there's no question. I mean, is, uh, you know, are leaders developed? Are they born that way? I mean, is, can someone develop to be a leader or are you just naturally a leader? I mean, what's your take on that? No, I think it's a, I think it's a mixture thereof. I think it yeah. absolutely can be learned, yeah. you know, for sure. I think there's certain attributes and, and things that it may, if you're, you know, if you're an extrovert, it might be a little bit easier to get into leadership roles, you know? Um, but I've, I worked for one of the biggest introverts I ever knew, and he was an amazing leader, right? Yeah. So you don't have to be that, but, um, you know, the ability to communicate, I mean, the humility is huge going into that, so. Yeah, no, it's also, I always I always believe that, that leadership by example is critical, right? Because I remember my old days as a wrestler or football, they're very different, right? We talk about leaders, if you're, you wrestle, but in wrestling, it's an individual sport, and you, you compete for yourself, but at the same time, your score counts for the team. Yeah, so there is a thing where football is a little different, where you're the quarterback, you're relying on the your front line to protect you, and you you know you're trusting them, right? Like the, the movie The Blind Side, same sure. type of thing, right? So you're, so how do you, you know, what makes how do you become a team member, but you still have to have your individual sort of role, right? Uh, and, and yeah, well, on the on the like wrestling thing, the wrestling like thing is, is example, good example. Well, number one, an interesting thing: the wrestling has been like the number one feeder sport into the SEAL teams for the longest time, and I think a lot of that has to do with nobody cares about wrestlers you know you're not a million dollar cash machine that can you know play in the nfl or something like that just a bunch of middle-sized guys you know working it out on their own and you got to put a ton of work in on your own no one's coddling you're babysitting you got to cut weight which is miserable brutal you know so wrestlers are already kind of used to getting themselves in some pretty dark spaces and suffering through stuff um that's a big feeder but the, the individual thing is like you know the deal you got there on the mat yeah it is you out there for 10 minutes wrestling and you know you can't blame it on somebody dropping the ball in the second quarter it's you i watched the whole match and you lost you know that right. guy beat you yeah. um but but none of that happens without what happens in the mat room 
you know, right. that that camaraderie, your workout partner, your workout partners facilitate everything you make happen out there. So it's definitely definitely a team sport, but you don't see it. Yeah. Oh, the preparation too, the workout, yeah. the losing the weight, working out in heated rooms, running up oh. and down steps with a guy in your back. You know, yeah. it's just kind of like and I remember those days. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a cult. It's a cult sport. Yeah, in that sense. And then you show up at a meet for the weekend and you know i used to go watch my my nephew wrestle at in college and i'd sit around all day just to watch him wrestle for three minutes yeah you know up in the yeah. stands so you have to when your time comes you have to be ready and that's like it's almost like a mission like you have when you're navy seal right yeah. you're waiting and waiting and waiting all everything has to come together and all of a sudden boom mission starts yeah so this i i so i that makes sense now i can see why a lot of wrestlers become navy seals yeah it's pretty natural you know it's pretty interesting so um gluttons or punishment yeah, talk about a little bit about committee, uh, leaving by committee or by decision. I've heard you talk about that before. And what do you mean no, by I just, that? I mean, I, 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 kind of interesting. Well, I mean, it, it depends on, like, timing and bandwidth. And, you know, I mean, there's a time and a place for, you know, problem, solution, execution, problem, right. solution, execution. If you're, and you need to be able to do that. Like, you know, in the military, and particularly in units that are going to go in harm's way and do things like that, you need people that can make hard decisions under yeah. pressure in a timely manner with imperfect information, right? Yeah. And, and say, problem, solution, execution. This is what we're doing. Boom, boom, yeah, boom. Yeah. If you're the individual who can only do that, and now we yeah. have two weeks to make a decision, but your default setting is problem, solution, execution, yeah. and you just, why? You've got two weeks. What are you crazy? Yeah. You know? You've got all these amazing people around yeah. you. Like, take advantage of that full two weeks, you know? Yeah. Committee, you know, like, harness, harness the collective mental horsepower of your whole crew here. And take the entire two weeks if you have two weeks, and then make the best decision you possibly can. Right. You know, and again, on somebody who can only do the long, long, deliberate process, you put them in combat. That's terrible. And you have to empower your your other, you know, Navy SEAL. You know, you have to you have to trust them, right? That's oh, part of, of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, that's something yeah. I've also seen a lot in, you know, post military. Yeah. It's it's tough. It's different in the civilian world. I don't fault anybody for it, but like the metrics that people get paid on are just different, you know, and yeah. like no one's getting paid any money in the military and, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, just pretend that you want to be, I'm going to prep, everybody prep me up, I want to be the smartest guy in the room so I can answer every possible question. That's crazy, yeah. you know, um, whereas in my old life, plenty of times I would be briefing someone way senior to me and I would get asked a question that was not in my wheelhouse and I'm not going to yeah. tap dance around it and pretend to answer that question. I'd be like, sir, I don't have the answer to that, but this is, you know, Bob and Bob's the best explosive guy you're ever going to meet. Yeah. Well, let him answer that. Or this is Joe. Yeah. He's the best sniper you're ever going to meet. Well, let him answer that. Or yeah. have my intel analyst answer Well, that. in a different context, like I look at my own life, right? I started in the wealth management business 30 years ago. And I was pretty much an independent contractor, like individual financial planner with my staff. And I ran my own practice. That's mm-hmm. And then we start Palace Capital. It's different now. You get 30 plus employees. You have to trust your employees. You have to trust, the, you know, who's going to, you know, you have to delegate. You have to assign responsibility and trust the other person to do the work. Yeah. You have to have that second gen in place. You have to have all that in place. So, you know, even like you said, can it be, can leadership be developed? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Because at some point it hits a head like you can't do it all on your own. You really need to trust the people that work for you, people that you're next to you and so forth. Yeah. I think there are absolutely people that when you get the very controlling, you know, top leader, like if you make a decision, you're a senior guy here. Like if you made a decision, everything goes through me. That's fine. And you're you're, going to do fine. Right. But you have officially decided how big this place can be. Yeah. That's it. You're, you're awake for so many hours a day, you're here for so many hours a day, you can make so many decisions in those hours, right. that everything has to come through you, that's it. Yeah. And you might 
do very very well. Yeah. But that's only that's that's the number. As soon as you can yeah. empower your people. Yeah. And be like, hey, everything up to this this threshold. It's a different ballgame. You yeah. handle it. Everything up to this threshold, you handle it. Yeah. And now you got four multipliers throughout your entire organization, and you're right. you know sky's yeah. the limit. Yeah. So that's when you can really scale up and really become more effective. And you yeah. got yeah. So, tell me some of the biggest parallels between being a Navy SEAL and the corporate world. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, we talk about that for a while, I'm sure, right? But. Um, well, I mean, it's it's very different. I mean, the the stakes are very different. The job's different. Um, you know, it's hard. People are always always looking to like, hey, how can we replicate a little bit of this? And it's the military is just so so unique and different. Like I said, it's a whole society. But like, yeah, you know, everybody's focused on the set. You wouldn't be there if you didn't want to be there. It's yeah. not we're not drafting anybody, right? And then you go through these selection problems. You triple selected me, like being these these you know specialized units. Yep. Um, so everybody kind of has that mission focus. And that's that's a real tough thing to really get everybody on board. You know, yeah. I think uh, the smaller you all are, still, you know, small. The smaller the organization, I think the easier that can be. Okay. The more natural it's going to come. Like, hey, I want to be a part of something. This thing's only thirty people. I want to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, it's you know, once you're, once you're, thousands of people, that's tough to replicate. Um, so the parallel, the parallels, I think, fall into some aspects of leadership. Is they yeah. say leadership is leadership, but yeah. some aspects there's there's some differences. So what's the goal behind Patriot Leadership Development? What's the mission statement for the company? Like I said, some of the original stuff yeah. was, you know, we're just taking combat, you know, first-hand combat lessons learned and taking those and transitioning them and sharing them with folks. And I saw this, you know, I did three years at Wellington. I was the business manager of the global trading team, and I just started seeing multiple situations where, like, well, we've been, we did that, we did that, we did that. Um, and getting people out of their wheelhouse and into – thinking through the military's approach to stuff yeah. um, and sharing that. And, not, and I, I never want to be the guy who's like, hey, take it easy, no one's shooting at you. You know, yeah. I've had plenty of people in the room say that. I don't say it, right? But I think there's a lot to be learned. Okay. So let me... Uh, so what's, what's your best advice to even a company like ours or corporate America, right, based on your experience? What would you say to it without knowing much about our firm like what would you say is, is the best advice that you would provide somebody question no no I mean I think well, you know you mentioned trust earlier yeah trust is huge and yep. that's that's a tough one you know what I mean like at the end of the day like how do we just get there like that you don't um, and trust is about relinquishing control yeah you know but with that you got to be very deliberate you know we got you know, authority versus responsibility. Right, I can I can delegate authority to my people, but I right. can't take if I if I want to delegate both, I'm not leading. Right, if yeah. I want to give you the authority to go do things on my behalf, you're a tier below me, level below me. Yeah. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to give you the authority to go do these things. But if I also want to get the responsibility off of my shoulders, it's not leadership. Right, the captain in the military, you know, the, the navy, the captain goes down with the ship. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm giving you the authority to steer the ship. You're 23 years old, right out of Annapolis, yeah. and you crash my ship while I'm asleep because I'm the skipper. I'm 3 a.m. Yeah. I'm getting to sleep. My career's done, right? Because I've given you the authority to steer that ship, right? Right. But I still owe the responsibility still mine, right? Yeah. So and so in that you got to be very deliberate about when you give authority out to people. Yeah. You know, in the military, there's a lot of paperwork that says, "Hey, this young lieutenant JG can steer the ship," yeah. and generally it works out, right? But sometimes it doesn't. And so you got to be very deliberate on who you give that to, and you also have to realize. 
even though I went through, I did every, all my homework. I think I did the best job I can. Yeah. There's going to be mistakes. Things are going to happen. Right. And then you got to pick people up and pick them up and dust them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, they're, they're gonna, they're still going to make mistakes. In other words, you got to delegate, but make sure you cover your what you know what right <laughs> kind of things. Is that what you're saying? Well, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I don't say go into CYA mode, <laughs> but I mean like be very deliberate about the process because. Yeah. And then you have, like I said, you have to accept that they're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And you're going to have to dust them off. I don't. Want, if you make the same mistake twice, we're going to have a serious conversation. Right. Right. But if but if I tell you all, hey, I've given you the authority to do these things push it we're gonna, we're gonna do great things let's lean into this da, da, and then you mess up and i end you yeah like nobody on my team is ever gonna do anything for me again or not they're never gonna push anything right you know so that i think that's one big thing and then figure out don't let the little milestones be lost in the military you go through some pretty epic stuff yeah. right it's very clear when you go through hard things and big things um don't let the little things be lost you know like we grow when we go through hard stuff we yeah. grow as people we grow tighter you and your team I don't know, you have to roll your sleeves up and be like, hey, no one's going home until we figure this out. We, we'd absolutely mess this up. Yeah. This has got to get done. And next thing you know, it's midnight before you're out of here. Right. Like, that's a team building ep episode. You know, don't let that be. You're not going to celebrate it at midnight. Everybody right. just wants to go home. But acknowledge it, you know. Yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why when in the military, you know, going through Army Ranger training, going through Green Break, going through Navy SEAL training, it is arduous for a reason because yeah. you're bonding with those people for life. Absolutely. There's no question. Yeah. So. John, let's talk about uh, culture and team building. Um, there are many companies today who have employees with hybrid schedules. How can you build trust in those companies with having hybrid employees? Yeah, I think, I mean, at the end of the day, whatever, whatever industry, whether you're in the military or athletics or business, you know, it's all about performance, you know, and um, you're not going to get there without trust. You know, and then you're a football player, talk about mm -hmm. the the blind side, you know, yeah. quarter, quarterback has to drop back in the pocket and have, have trust in his team to do that. Yeah. And then how do you how do you build that, right? Um, and if you think about in football, think about the number of actual reps where that's really happening live. It's a split second. It's only a fraction of time. So it's, it's about capitalizing on those, and making the most effective. Um, in the in the military, building trust is, you know, I think I talked a little bit earlier about it's let, letting go a little bit, putting you know. And people always ask like, how do you do, how could you go into combat and like fully just trust someone that they're going to do it. Risk their life to save yours, possibly, and the you know the the news flashes. Well, you certainly don't do it for the first time when you're getting shot at. You know, yeah. it's a training cycle I talked about earlier. You know, you're going through all this training, and one of the one of the things that I've done a few times in training that always just kind of reminds me of just like trusting someone is the the, the helicopter pilots that we work with. They're army guys. They're absolutely the best helicopter pilots in the, in the world. They're amazing. Uh, the number of times that we would have these guys come in and just save our tails yeah. in combat. I basically have tears in my eyes. Couldn't believe that they were even coming to help us. But they were, um, you know, but it was part of the brotherhood there. Like, they knew, you know, we would do anything in the world to help them, and they they do the same for us. But in training, they would do this uh, amazing maneuver. We would do these big training trips in big cities. We'd come up to Boston, run around Boston in the middle of the night for a couple of weeks, do a bunch of training, if you Google yeah. Black helicopters in Boston, middle of the night. You'll probably find some stuff, you know, nowadays. But we'd run around the cities and do all this training. And one of the maneuvers these guys would do, they would come in and they'd call it a lip landing. So if they're landing on top of like a really big building downtown, they would just come and put the nose of their aircraft in, um, and then we would get off the aircraft. One of the aircrafts they fly is a really, really small. It's like the size of a VW bus. It's a okay. tiny little aircraft called an A6. And one of the configurations, they've got benches. There's two benches on the outside. So it was the customers and the passengers. Uh, we would be sitting on the outside of the aircraft, right? And t again, tiny aircraft. Yeah. And so when they came time to pick us up and leave, they do that to get us there. And then if yeah. they come pick us up and leave, 
they would land with the nose facing out. So the nose of the aircraft would be off the front of a you know 90-story building in downtown Manhattan or whatever. And uh, so that first bit of that bench would also be off the side of the building. Fascinating. And, you know, two guys getting on each side. So the front, and there's a series of hands you're passing certain signals to secure what's going on, but front two guys get on, the back two guys get on, everybody secures themselves. You're in charge of securing yourself, no one's double checking that, yeah. but you're passing the word up uh, through some hand signals that says, hey, I'm good to go. And then once you've done that, the two pilots, pilot and co-pilot, they know, okay, the four guys on the outside are safe or they're telling us they're safe, yeah. you know? And at that moment, you're, you've just relinqu- you've re- relinquished all control. Like, I pray that you're a great pilot because it's all on you right now. I'm putting my life in your hands. And the maneuvers they would do, uh, if you can imagine, if you're a bunch of bad guys on the roof and you're going to fly off into the distance, you have yeah. bad guys shooting at you. Yeah. So what they do is they'll actually tip the aircraft forward, and the aircraft falls. It literally just falls off the building. It doesn't fly away. It falls. And it falls a number of floors, you know. 10, 20, 30 floors before it's got enough forward momentum to actually fly away. So talk about a roller coaster yeah. ride. You're sitting on a bench on the outside of this thing and it just falls off a 90-story building and, yeah. you know, your stomach does this and you're flying away. I, but, yeah, I can feel it now. Yeah, it's a, a conversation. I, I mean, it's super fun. It's super fun. It's amazing. And those guys the Butterflies are, are already here. They are, they are hats off to them. Yeah. They are amazing pilots. But but that's a, a situation. That's just one of so many things yeah. you do. Like, yeah. you're done. You've relinquished all control. I'm putting my life in your hands. Please be good at what you do, and they are, and you survive. You know, and when, once you've done enough reps like that, it's it's pretty amazing. So that kind of correlates to the corporate world, like you're relinquishing control. You know, yeah, passing you, on responsibilities and, and assignments to different as leaders are shaping members shaped, of the team. Yeah, as leaders are shaping that environment, shaping the battle space, right. climate, and culture, so that our subject matter experts can do what they're great at, yeah. and then we're going to delegate away the authority to go forth and do great things. Always maintaining the responsibility, you know, and uh, being very deliberate about who we're giving the authority to, and then have them be great at what they do. Yeah, I'm thinking of that 80 year old business owner who hasn't given up any responsibility of his company. Well, that you know, and any I run, control, right? I've run into plenty of that where if, if I'm the senior person and I have everything has to come through me, yeah. that's okay. But you've officially limited how big you can be, right. because I'm only I'm only here so many hours a day. I can only make so many decisions in a day, and if everything has to go through me. Yeah. we've decided how big we can be. Yeah. Um, if I can delegate this to this level and this to this level and empower people to make decisions, yep. you got force multipliers upon force multipliers, and you can just go places. Yeah, fascinating. You know, this, this is this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night thinking about delegating. And um, but so let's go back to the Patriot leadership. So there are a lot of companies out there in the U.S. that provide leadership skills, right? Sure. What makes your firm unique and differentiating to the competition? What is? We are. So I mentioned, you know, I, I retired as a lieutenant commander. Mm-hmm. Um, I was absolutely middle management within the military. I was not walking the halls of the Pentagon, but I loved my role in the military. The, the middle management is really the senior management in combat. So I got to spend a lot of time out on missions leading yeah. in that aspect, which I loved. And uh, I was surrounded by some of the best guys in the world doing it. So, But that's what we bring. We're not bringing, hey, I worked in the Pentagon. Hey, I'm a really, really, really senior retired right. person. Um, talking giant big picture strategy we're talking where the rubber meets the road where the bullets are flying that that's our whole level we focus on that and one of the unique things that we're doing is taking people put them through courses that are based on real missions okay. actual missions that people want to take the time to google the mission before they show up for the class they can do that and um, but we're going to take you and you're going to walk a mile in the boots of these people and experience this and make the decisions that these people had to make so you like I mentioned earlier you know can you make you know, can you make good decisions under pressure in a timely manner with imperfect information? And that's exactly what you would take the people through. 
So talk to me a little bit, I want to change course a little bit, talk to me about vets, right? Um, what's it like for vets to transition from military to their personal life? We see it, you know, we hear it in the news all the time, but, you know, there's a lot of issues today. So I want to talk about a bit about your, your perspective on that. You have a lot of friends that retired. What, what's, it, what's it been like for them? It's, it's a, you know, I think the journey is kind of unique for yeah. each person. Um, I've, I've, my putting my head around it, I feel like there's kind of four groups or four buckets of vets. Right. And I think it's important for people hiring to try to learn, learn a little bit about the military if you want to hire vets. And you right. should hire vets. Um, but I think you got like the young guy or gal who came in way out of high school, generally serves a few years in the Marine Corps picks up the GI Bill, goes to college, and now, now they're finishing up college at like 25 or 26. Right. You know, that's kind of group one. And then group two is the kind of the officer equivalent, you know, did ROTC or did a service academy or did OCS, yeah. serves eight, 10, 12 years maybe. Yeah. And then they transition. That group also has the GI Bill available, and lots of them right. will pick up a higher, A lot of them already higher. graduated college. They all, well, ROTC yeah, almost all, almost, yeah. almost 100% of officers have a college degree right. coming in. And so then they pick a higher degree, and then that's another group to hire, right. you know. Um, and then number three, bucket three, would be guys like myself that did a, a full 20-year career, 20 and change. And then the final bucket, you got the really, really senior guys and gals who, like, stick around, yeah. retired flag officers, Army generals and Navy admirals and things like that. And so, the guys on CNN on TV, they're comment, right, those type of guys. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, of, the, a lot of them get sucked in. That. Well, you know, to their credit, a lot of those guys, you know, you're, you know, that – You've stuck around for 30 years. You spend a lot of time walking the halls of the Pentagon and doing some yeah. pretty, pretty high, high-level strategic stuff. So my, yeah. my guys were just down the dirt, tactical, yeah. you know. But a lot of, a lot of when you're in the military and you have a skill set, right, whether you're a doctor or you're a mechanic or something, those are transferable to everyday life, civilian life. There are others that are running tanks and are doing other things that don't have, that skill is not really, a bit like, like wrestling. Yeah. For, I go back to my wrestling days, right? Yeah, I wrestled, but... I'm not going to be wrestling anymore because that's over, right? Same kind of thing. So what about training for some? So some of them are trained and their profession should actually trans, transport into the civilian sure, life, right? Sure. To have that skill set. To be right. like a, a doctor is a perfect example, right? right? I'm a medic. I'm going to go work as a doctor. Right. Easy. There are some that don't have that skill set. So is yeah. there education? Is there a transition to help some of these vets transition into a certain type of career? Yeah, I would say the people often ask like the how does the skill set transition? How do I write my resume? Da, da, da. And like you're mm. saying, there's lots of stuff, mostly in the enlisted ranks. Right. There's lots of things where you're, like in the Army, they call your MOS, in the Navy, it's your, your rate, and it's your job. Yeah. And if you're a sonar tech or, you know, if you're a, a plumber, yeah. you know, uh, and, a, and HT is a plumber, um, you're going to transition. That's a right. skill set. You know, sure. if you're cranking wrenches on, a, on an F-18 jet, you can call Boeing and go crank wrenches on another jet. Like right. that's a transferable skill. Right. You learn something. A lot of it is a little bit softer. Um, in the officer ranks, generally, it's a little bit softer. You know, yeah. If you learn how to steer a ship and you're a SWO out on a big Navy ship and you want to go work somewhere in the shipping world, you're still you're still driving a ship. Right. If you want to fly, if you fly jets, you still want to fly jets. You can go fly right. for a commercial airline. But those of us who like, no one's you know. No one's looking for someone that hey, can you pack parachutes and blow stuff up and shoot guns. Like yeah. that's kind of our stuff. Yeah, yeah I get that. But but it's but it's the leadership. That's that's what really you know for the officer ranks. Right. Away from that, the, the stuff is leadership. That's really what translates. Yeah. Are we doing enough to help vets transition into careers? There's a, there's so many. I mean, I don't know if enough. I don't know what the right answer to yeah. enough is, but there's so many things that were just kind of getting going when I was uh, retiring. But there's there's a bunch of different platforms that help. I uh, just did something recently with Veterans Bridge Home, great organization, okay. and they help they help 
it's, it's a bridge home. They help vets transition into all sorts of jobs. Okay. There's hard hats, hard hat, or helmets to hard hats is another one. Okay, yeah, I've heard that. Uh, one. There's a bunch of them, and there's there's great stuff out there helping people transition. Are we doing enough to help vets with their you know mental illness, suicide, and those type of things? Is it? There, that, that we could definitely that we could definitely do more. Um, a great lost. We, we've I lost way too many buddies to suicide. Um, really really great friend. His his wife uh, started the Step Up Foundation. Okay. Which they've got they've got an event coming up coming up. The Step Up Foundation does a memorial workout for Chad. It's called the Chad One Thousand. Okay. To raise awareness around suicide. Suicide's a real problem. Um, and so that that's something we could definitely do more on. This could be a great segue into um, you are looking to launch a new foundation called the Two in One Foundation. We're just getting it going, yeah. Get going. So tell us about that. I mean, I find that fascinating. It's, it's really, the, the, what I understand, it's really to benefit children and young adults of Navy SEALs who have died in combat training right. to help financial literacy and help the young young kids. And, yeah, exactly. And to help. We, um, so there's a saying in the SEAL teams, um, one is none, two is one. It's about being prepared. Um, yeah. And that's where the name came from. And so my wife, Rachel, came up with a great idea on how we were gonna do our kids' allowances for chores, and we started that when they were really young. Yeah. And we started slowly saving, and then when the kids got older and they started doing a little bit of side work here and there, maybe some babysitting, um, I, I started introducing matching. So sort of all of a sudden their, their savings were building up yeah. a little bit quicker, and then eventually got to a point, and I was like, hey, why don't we open up a basic trading account for the kids? So we did that. and okay. I sat down with my kids and kind of went through the basics and not to get into like what they're invested in, but we kept it super basic. Yep. And then fast forward a few years, really good, lost a really good friend. He's from Massachusetts, Kevin Houston. He's from Barnstable, I think. Barnstable? Yep. Okay. And there's a bridge dedicated to him on the way out to the Cape. But great guy, uh, lost him in 2011. He left behind his wife and two kids. His daughter, who's now early 20s, um, she, does, she helps us out from time to time. Okay. And she's out of college, had her first job. We started sitting down talking about investing the basics and we started showing her the numbers. Hey, if you put a hundred bucks a month away, this is what, this is what it does. Um, and then just said, Hey, let's, let's sit down and make this happen today. And I said, I'll, I'll get you going. I'll set you up an account and this is, these are milestones. And, and then we got her going and this is about a, maybe yep. a year and a half, two years ago now. John, this has been great. We talked about a lot today, but is there any example or mission that you've experienced that pulls all this together? Everything we've talked about. Yeah, no, there's so many, honestly. I've uh, got to be a part of some amazing stuff over the years. Uh, as far as, like, you know, the overarching theme of, like, shaping the battle space and bringing it all together as leaders and then how that applies to a mission does bring to mind um, one mission in particular. And the two big takeaways, I'll explain the mission in a second, are I like to say never stop working the problem, right? Um, so got to keep picking. There's always a solution. Keep working to the very last second. And then... I was to say, you know, we got to leverage everything we have as leaders. We got to leverage it. There's really, no, there's no real competitive advantages. Uh, you don't have access to some super duper secret Bloomberg screens that nobody else gets to see, right? Uh, or, or products that nobody else gets to use. And so you have the same tools available to you as the, your, your competition. You know, in a combat, that's kind of true as well. You know, so it's about leveraging what you have. And I, I really believe that as leaders, the number one thing we can that we need to leverage is the collective mental horsepower of our whole crew, right? If there's a clone of your shop across town and they're a group who randomly bump into each other over lunch and you're truly functioning as a team and you've shaped the environment where you're leveraging that collective mental horsepower, it's not even close. It's game changing, right? And uh, so the I was, we were doing a mission. Um, we'd been on 
multi-week campaign going after this really bad cell of bad guys in Afghanistan. And the top guy was very elusive. He was wise to us. He realized, you know, we've been kind of taking his network apart and a lot of his top lieutenants were going away. So he kind of vanished. He was nowhere to be found for months. And we went in, I went in, kicking my day off again. We kind of worked nights, so having my coffee, watching the sunset, and our analysts had done their, they'd done their homework, and they're like, hey, boom, we got this guy, right? And they started making their case the way they do. And they're like, hey, this, this is where he is, this is what's going on. And I had a lot of questions to ask, I'm like, where, what, you know? And uh, it wasn't looking great. He was in a really, really bad town we'd been to multiple times, and every time we went there, it was a big firefight, which, believe it or not, that's not what we want to do, right? Yeah. And uh, he was in, like, a really hard compound to get after, um, very fortified position, and this was adding up. And then the final final two factors that kind of came, I canceled the mission. The, the, time, the final two factors that made me decide, hey, we're just not going to go tonight, it was actually the weather and the lunar cycle. The weather was beautiful. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And it was a big old full moon. So it was basically broad daylight. And so I said, you know what, we know, we're, we know this is going to be a serious night. It's going to be a firefight. A lot of bad guys involved. Uh, we're, not, we're not doing this. And what is basically going to be broad daylight. So we canceled the mission. And... Guys went about their routines, key leaders, analysts, they didn't go anywhere. Boom, right, let's figure out how's this thing going to evolve, you know, what's going to change. We're not going to lose this guy, you know, but maybe it's tomorrow night and the night after. And at about the 11th hour, the one of the most junior members of our analyst team came to us, a young woman. She worked for one of the alphabet agencies in D.C., been with us for maybe a month. And she comes to us, and she's like, hey, I think you missed something. And i got to kind of back it up. Coming to us is, you know, Late 30s, early 40s, bearded up, over-muscled, over-tattooed, big gun-carrying, Navy SEALs, six, you know, five, six guys. Not a cuddly, approachable bunch of dudes. And here comes this young woman who barely knows this crew, uh, myself included, and it's like, hey, you guys missed something. And she, she laid it out. She's like, hey, I know you're, you know, you've got challenges with the moon, you're kind of hung up on the moon situation. And uh, she said, this valley's almost perfectly north-south running really narrow with really big mountains on both sides uh, it is a full moon tonight but the moon's actually going to set about 40 minutes before first light in the east and she was dead on she computer generated showed us the whole thing and we more or less had to run to the helicopters because our timeline was getting super tight but we ended up getting out there and accomplishing that mission we were in and out of there very quickly right in that dark window and we got it done uh, but it goes back it's like you know never stop working the problem right. shame on us shame on me I had said I, no, I can't control the moon we're, kind of, we're not going to, you know, she kept working that problem. She was going to keep working that problem until there was zero seconds left on the clock for tonight and then start thinking about tomorrow night. So good on her for doing that. And equally as important for her doing that is that, you know, scruffy bunch of guys yeah. who are an amazing bunch of humans, but again, not at a glance, not the most approachable bunch, had created an environment where this young woman, who was, you know, 12, 15 years younger than all of us, who barely knew us, wasn't afraid to come to us. It's fascinating how confident she was. Yeah. Come up to you. Yeah, resolute in her, uh, you know, process or decision. Yeah, yeah, she was pretty impressive. But the other thing, you trusted her as well, which I, which is great as well. Interesting. Well, the, you I mean, trusted her judgment. Yeah, the analysts. But the analysts deserve all the credit in the world. My old life, the analysts. If it wasn't for the analysts, we're just a bunch of you know meatheads walking around in the dark, wondering where the bad guys are. The yeah. analysts, that's the crew that gets us there every time. Hey, John's a great story. Oh, just interesting evening. Yeah. As we conclude this episode. I want to express my heartfelt gratitude for the generous sharing of your story and message. John, thank you for your service. It's deeply appreciated. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. 
preceding information is for general educational purposes only. It's not intended to be investment advice and is not specific to any individual's personal situation. Any decision about investing should be undertaken only after careful consideration of the investment's risks, costs, liquidity or lack thereof, and the investor's time frame. Please remember that past performance may not be indicative of future results. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk and there can be no assurance that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product referred to directly or indirectly in this newsletter or podcast will be profitable or equal any corresponding indicated historical performance levels. The investment advice is offered through Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor.